This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 201. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood, and today we have a very special guest by the name of Peggy Dean on the podcast. She is an artist who has been featured in or she's worked with, kind of a combination of the two, with Google, USA Today, Martha Stewart, Vogue Magazine, Disney, Wall Street Journal, and a bunch of other things like that. She is a best-selling author, and she is what I'd call one of the more influential artists online today. And on this episode, we're going to cover some topics that I think are really valuable to anyone listening right now. Things like setting up structure as a creative, especially as creatives who a lot of us, frankly, don't really gravitate towards being structured. Self-promotion as creatives. Again, creatives, we suck at self-promotion. This is an area that most of... Most of our audience struggles with. We underpromote instead of overpromote. Building email lists and lead magnets. Peggy actually has an email list of like 75, 78,000 people on it. So I think she's a very good person to listen to when it comes to actually building a mailing list. And if even if this is something that you've been hesitant against, I promise you this is something you want to listen to because this is just such a vital part of marketing in today's age. And this is just as important for creatives as it is for everyone else on earth. And we also talk about the balance between passion and money. How do as creatives, how do we How do we find that balance between pursuing things we're passionate about while also keeping in mind the money element? How do we, how do we keep that balance in a way that keeps us both grounded, but also making sure we're going the right direction, not going just towards money. It's a, it's a very hard balance. And I think Peggy does a great job of uh, talking us through that. So without further delay, here's my interview with Peggy Dean. Peggy, how are you doing today? Oh gosh, so good. How are you doing today, Brian Hood? I'm doing awesome. I know you call me Brian Hood. I like, we were discussing beforehand, Peggy Dean is like such a Southern name and like growing up in Alabama, like Peggy Dean, like that's how they would say in the South, but I will try my best not to use a Southern accent and to just call you Peggy. How about that? My dad's from Mississippi. My grandma's from Missouri. It wouldn't be the strangest thing. Okay. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So Peggy, we're bringing Peggy on the show because she's a, I don't know what to call you because you, you seem to be a bunch of different things. You, you go by artist, author, educator on your website, but in your own words, can you tell our audience, like, what, what do you do? (laughs) I can confidently say that I have the absolute worst elevator pitch of what I do. So I've landed (laughs) on artist, author, educator, and then I emphasize educator because it's my favorite, favorite thing in the whole world. But I think that more than anything at this point, I really am passionate about facilitating resources for creative entrepreneurs. That has kind of organically stemmed in the last year as a way of summarizing what I enjoy doing because I put my feet into so many little puddle buckets, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the phrases are for anything, but um, I don't know. Everybody has strengths and I, I love researching and I love failing so that I can do better. And then going through all of the thick muck that nobody else likes doing. I love it. I'm a sponge to it. So I started off as a hobbyist and then moved into an artist and then moved into an educator and author. And I find that I do much prefer offering value to other creatives. That's great. So your background is from what I saw in my, in my research is you did like hand lettering. That's like the thing that you've kind of found your, your name for your education around that sort of stuff. Can you talk about like when we are creatives in a hobby, which is a lot of our listeners right now, they are, they are pursuing a hobby that they love. They're wholeheartedly pursuing it with everything they have. But 
they are just not making it work from a business standpoint. And we were just laughing about this before the interview that your website, you says, we believe in passion above everything else. And then I literally have a sign behind me on my wall in neon that says it takes more than passion. How do you approach that sort of headbutting reality of like, I'm passionate about this thing for you as hand lettering. And there's other things around your, your creativity that you've monetized at this point. But how do you, how do you approach that conversation where it's like, I want to monetize something because I want to do this for the rest of my life and make a living from it versus like, I am in it for just creativity. It's just passion. Like what is, what is your thought process behind approaching that, that dichotomy almost? It's so important to have an initial focus and that could be an initial goal. I wouldn't necessarily say like have a goal set in stone because you don't know what's going to come up along that path. So if you have a general vision and you just start doing it, instead of ruminating on all of the possibilities or lack thereof, then what you put your energy into will come back and then there will be room to grow and pivot and branch off and whatnot. It does happen. I know that that's terrible to say because it's like, well, proof's in the pudding, everybody. Your something came out right there. This pudding. <laughs> it sure did. It sure did. Um, yeah. So you're not going to see that until you start. If you have started, what I find, and I think this is relatable for everyone, is it's very easy to look at where the success is for everybody else. And social media is a trap for that. I mean, I don't want to get into the regurgitating of how social media is good and bad and all that. But I do think like when we're analyzing that kind of stuff, we should really figure out why, like, where's that coming from? What is it specifically the thoughts that we're having? And what is it about that person, that account, that space that makes us feel like that's what we need to do too. For example, as an educator, so I show up a lot. I'm very extroverted. My face is everywhere, but I put it there. So I think that that's the case for a lot of people who show up in the same way that I do. You have a podcast, so you probably hear people, you know, say something like, well, what if I'm not comfortable jumping on and talking to people in a public setting, blah, blah, blah. My first question to people is, well, why do you want to? And usually it's because that's where whoever it is that they're watching, that's what they think they need to do for their own success. But the truth is like you will do so much more by putting your energy into into something that you're passionate about doing versus something you feel like you need to. So you could do the super lucrative path that you see proven, but you're not going to because you won't have the passion and the satisfaction there. You will not be as successful as you would be if you were following exactly what it is you want to be doing, if that makes sense. And Another big question is when you're on this, these spaces where you see other inspirations, so to speak, according to your goal, is that where your target audience lives? Because it might not be. So what's the point in putting all that effort someplace where it's not going to be sustained, you know, sustain you for where you want to go? So many people, they're just imitating other people in an area they're not themselves passionate about or talented in, and they start just regurgitating or or just copying those people in an area that doesn't even contain their ideal clients. And usually what I see, and this is just kind of talking directly to freelancers right now, if you're a freelancer and you are trying to do something like create content or be an influencer or whatever, a lot of times you fall into this trap of making content that only appeals to people just like you. Maybe you're making content that's only valuable to music producers and you're a music producer, then you're not, you're not really doing yourself much justice there. But I want to talk on something else you, you mentioned during that whole thing is Something about breaking the rules. This is something you're big on is basically building your life in a way that's against the rules. And I, 
I love breaking rules. The other day we were, me and my wife were driving to the nerdiest thing on earth, which is the Renaissance Festival here in Nashville. And there is like a secret back entrance that avoids all traffic. Well, there was a roadblock in the way, literal roadblock that said road is closed to festival traffic. And everyone was just turning around because they didn't want to break the rules. Meanwhile, I look at my wife and says, do you trust me? And then we drove around the roadblock and we sat in zero traffic. I will break the rules 100% of the time as long as I don't think the consequences are as bad as the benefit of avoiding 25 minutes of sitting in dead stop. So let's talk about breaking rules because I think that's like the first place to start as creatives when it comes to business is what rules can we break and what rules do we need to follow and how can we kind of forge our own path instead of just looking left and right at everyone else? I think in this space, it's super important to understand that if we are to be creatives, then we need to think creatively. You have to think outside the box in order to make any stride with ourselves, with our progress. If we followed a rule book that doesn't exist on these topics, then none of us would be creatives and it would just be the same, you know, if we're talking design, there wouldn't be any demand for anything. So think about surrealism. Like it's one of my favorite things because of what it is, like just period, anything hybrid, like give it to me. I'm all about it. I will drink it. It's so good. So yeah, you know, I have no formal training. I'm a high school graduate. Do you know what your high school GPA was? Okay. This is actually funny. I do. And, but I have to share in my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I could not sit still. I couldn't focus. I was kind of a smart ass with my instructors. I, I'm not proud of that at all because I really respect teachers, but you know, you're a kid, your frontal lobe hasn't developed, blah, blah, blah. So I would skip a lot or I would just get bored and like tell the grammar teacher that they spelled something wrong on the whiteboard because I was really smart, but I just like wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I was that kid. Smart and smart ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I would skip a lot. And then my mom was like, you have too much potential to be doing this. So she pulled me out and she got me set up on this situation where it's not like homeschooling, but it's like you meet with a teaching consultant once a week for an hour, I think. And she gives you all of your work and then you go home and on your own time, you do everything and you study, you do your testing, you do all the things and then you go in there to test or whatever. So that was for my junior and senior year. My junior and senior year, I completed in one semester. So in half a year, I did two years of high school and I got 4.0 on all of it. And it was not easy because it was a private school. See, I, I was secretly hoping you just utterly struggled and failed at high school because like <laughs> did, I didn't go to college. I had a 1.9 GPA in high school and I'm like, and I wear it as a badge. <laughs> it kind of does count though, because if you look at behavioral stuff, like had she not done that and like recognized my learning just the way that I learn, whatever, I would have failed high school because because my overall average with those two years of 4.0, my it was 2.5. So that's how <laughs> that's how I was for freshman and sophomore year. Bring it bring it back on. We were talking about the uh, as creatives breaking the rules so that we're not just putting out stale stuff. And then we got sidetracked by high school GPAs, which is fine. <laughs> I think that it all loops, I think it all loops together. And I think that that's a good example though. Traditional education doesn't always work for everybody. I'd say 99% of all statistics are incorrect. 99% <laughs> of people, artists that I know have never, you no, know, they've never gone to art school. And, and, 
And one of the things I love so much is that I've heard people who will either listen into a podcast regularly or they'll take a course or whatever. And the thing I hear over and over again is I learned so much in X amount of time that I've spent listening or engaging in this than I ever did in college or in art school or wherever. And I'm like, that's because it all stems from experience, trial and error. Like there's so much of it. It can be absolutely crippling and demotivating, I guess which totally, that's fair. That's totally fair. And I understand that. And some personalities like my own will push through that because we're just like, no, I don't take no's. I'm going for this. So I just like challenge me. I dare you. Like it it gets me pumped. But um, I think that there's definitely some importance, I guess I should say, to being able to grasp and give yourself permission to break out of that mindset of like, I need to do things a certain way. Yeah. So going back to kind of the passion, your, your thing is we believe passion above anything else and kind of what you just talked about there, where you, you move towards the things that you're passionate about and you focus on those and you say, I'm going to break the rules and not do the things that I'm not necessarily passionate about. Where's the line drawn though? Because as creatives, we can fall into this trap of, I'm just going to endlessly pursue. What's the, what's the term when you're just like only focused on self-pleasure I'm blanking on the term. It'll come to me in a second, but basically you're going after self-pleasure, only the things that you're passionate about. And you're not actually doing anything to push a business forward because you maybe are allergic to marketing or maybe you're allergic to, I'm using the word allergic as a joke here, but like you're not towards, so how do you, how do you balance that? You know, this is important. This is something that comes up for all of us. You know, you really, really badly want to do something yet you don't take the first steps. I think that usually this is because of mindset and it's because of fear of not knowing what the next step is and not even knowing where to search for how to find the next step because it's usually very specific to your unique situation, which absolutely that makes sense. But you're not going to know until you take action. So I think this comes down to um, discipline and being able to like set up an Asana or Trello board or something along those lines that's going to give you visuals of boards where you can actually have steps that you can move into the next set like section of what needs to happen in those steps. Is that like a Kanban board where it's like to do, doing, done, that kind of thing? Yeah, basically. And you can get as specific in between as you want to. And it's, it's one of the most helpful things for people who don't know, because maybe that first task is figure out what all these tasks need to be, but it's working backwards. So that's the best part is like, if you can work backwards, give yourself four steps, just four. So four quarters of a year or however you want to do it. So you have your end goal. Well, what's it going to take to get there in the broad spectrum? You're not thinking about the little steps or who you need to network with or anything like that. What do you have to do to get a book published? Well, you have to write the book. Okay. (laughs) So it's write the book. What do you do between, you know, starting to write the book and publishing the book? Well, you're going to probably do some research. So maybe research is in, you know, basically it's that. And then within those points, all of those are like considered milestones. And then those milestones become the end goal before the actual end goal. And then you break those down into baby steps and doing it this way is giving people of any mindset whatsoever, however your brain works, it's giving you something tangible that you can actually follow instead of ruminating because Think about it, like the amount of time it's going to take. You're like, oh, a year. That's so long. Okay, well, how many years ago did you think you wanted to do the thing? Probably two or three, right? You're going to get a lot further taking action now than continuing to ruminate for another year or two. Yeah. So this is uh, this is probably my biggest sticking point when it comes to trying to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. First of all, 
taking the big task and breaking it down to little steps is has been so helpful for me because I, I do what you call ruminating. Like that's, that's something I do all the time. I just think about, I plan so that I can plan. Like I, I plan to plan. I think about thinking about things. Like I, I think of like all the things I want to do. And then I think about how do I do those things? And I think about what do I need to know to do those things? And I just think about it instead of actually getting it out on paper. Or in my case, I do what I call a brain dump where I just put everything out of my brain into an Evernote file or Google doc with a lot of bullet points and sub bullet points and sub, sub, sub bullet points and things like that. And then kind of structure it how you did with the, the big end goal and the milestones. And on top of that, when I structure my life that way, I'm always working towards something because I know what my next step is. And maybe at this time, I'm not, I don't feel like doing step A, but they're not always sequential. Sometimes I can do step B and come back to step A later, but I always have something to work on. And I've noticed the times where I feel the most aimless, I feel the most lost, I feel the most like anxious is the time that I don't have some one of those big projects that I'm working on. I don't know if you're the same way or not. I'm exactly the same way. And that's when I feel like I start to panic. And I think it's because I have a busy mind and I like to constantly be there, but I totally know Yes, that feeling very, very well. Well, speaking of that, I actually remembered the word I was trying to think of earlier. It's creative hedonism. That's the word I was looking for, where you're only looking after the, the pleasure of being creative and none of the structure or the actual billing of income or business or, or whatever. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, it's likely because you're interested in making a living from your creativity. And so we have to look at both of these. We can't just have one. Again, that's why the sign behind me, if you're watching this on YouTube says it takes more than passion. I wanted to also mention with outlining though, because what you said, you're like bullet points, sub bullet points, bu- sub bullet points of sub bullet points. And it just goes on and on and on. And you keep adding stuff. Yeah, forever. <laughs> <laughs> forever, forever. And this is actually when I started doing this, these brain dumps, but doing it in a structured way where I like categorize and then move things around as they make sense, because you're you're essentially forming like whatever project it is you're working on. You're essentially forming what could be a really meaty content, whatever it is. OK, so this is my favorite thing to share is that people think that one project is one project. And it's like taking that huge, huge chunk that you just created. And like, you're going to want to obviously like prune, right. And then make a final outline for whatever it is that you're making outline about. But rather than getting rid of all those bullet points or the, the things that didn't make it into the final draft is like, those are all side projects now that you can build off of as well. And you just have a huge body of all of these ideas or processes that you can, you know, attack by recycling that work because it's all based on value that you put together in one brainstorming session. I mean, maybe that brainstorming session is three weeks long, but it's one session, which I am a huge fan of and didn't realize it till I started actually writing content, which I know is separate from what we're talking about. But I think it's I think it all, you know, overlaps. My mind immediately goes to content creation. And I know know not everyone in our audience wants to do that or cares to do that. But I also, my brain goes to other things like when you're planning out big new things in your business where you're trying to like split up anything in your your marketing initiatives, anything in creating awareness for yourself, self-promotion, anything you are doing in your business is a massive project. There's going to be byproducts of that. And I I can't remember who it was. We've talked about on the podcast before, but there was a big like billionaire back in the day who made so much money from monetizing byproducts. And fun fact... I believe it's Webster's charcoal is a byproduct of another manufacturing process. And so they were manufacturing something They had all this like sawdust byproduct and they turned it into uh, coals for your grill and made a ton, I mean, an entire brand off of that that makes tens or hundreds of millions of dollars per year. But let's bring this back to, to something that I think piggybacks off this really well. And that is self-promotion. As a, as a creative, you clearly don't struggle with self-promotion. 
which is a good thing. I, I think all creatives should be amazing at self-promotion because like you can be the best in the world at what you do. But if you can't self-promote, you will just stay in your little box. No one will ever hear about you. And, and you took something as what I call simple as simple as hand lettering, which it sounds simple when you just say it, but when you look at your work, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get it across in, a, in an audio medium. But if, if you're watching on YouTube right now, just go Google Peggy Dean's work and you'll see what she's, what she's up to. But uh, you take something as simple as that and you have built it into like, I wouldn't call it an empire because like you're more than just hand lettering now. You're doing a lot of different things, but that was like your first foray into like education and self-promotion and other things like that. So how would you tell someone who's maybe not a natural at self-promotion to just get the hell over it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be honest with everybody. And I think that this is the same, like, Brian, you're good at self-promotion, but I think that you might have this, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but even people who are good at it, like, when it first comes up, like, it feels heavy. Like, it has this heaviness to it that's attached to it because it it's because it requires mental work. So it's not just, like, busy work. It's scary. Like, I, my first business coach, I was paying her, this is, like, 2017, I was paying her 3000 or $3,500 a month. I kept her for a year. She was great. She was pushing me at the time to get way outside of my comfort zone and do things like Facebook lives. That's back when Facebook lives had just launched and Facebook would push you like crazy if you were alive on um, their platform at the time. And it was terrifying. And that was, the, I remember how scared I was to do Facebook lives. And the first one I ever did, how it messed up. And the first like four minutes of it were just me sitting in front of the computer because I didn't realize the latency from the OBS I was using would just going to Facebook. It was just a disaster. I, the same exact thing happened to me the first time I streamed. That's so funny. It was such a just absolute show, but it got me over the hump <laughs> of like getting out there. And so it, it's scary at first. So I, I want to go back and just remember that I, I definitely remember that. And, and now I don't think twice about stuff like that because I'm, I'm immune to it. Yeah, you get used to it. And it's hard. I know a lot of people like it just depends on what it is that you're doing, because obviously not every avenue of self-promotion is for everybody else. But at the end of the day, it comes down to we don't want to come across sleazy, markety, like salesy, gross, slimy, which I get. But like the people who you enjoy, like whether it's in the same industry or not, do you ever feel like when they have a launch that that's slimy of them or do you get excited because you're interested in it? So really what we're doing is we're giving people the gift of excitement about something that you feel confident in that you created or did. You know that there's value that you're offering by doing it. You knew that in the creation process from step you know, A to Z and now it's time to share it and now's the exciting part. So really when we just talk about things rather than saying, you know, coming up with some formula on how somebody, if they buy this and they're going to get this, like spend more effort talking about the why behind it and like how it made you feel during the process. And even maybe say like, you know, oh gosh, I'm so nervous to put this out there. And you don't have to be extroverted to do it. You can be who you are and somebody is going to, you know, people are going to appreciate and be drawn to that. And it really doesn't matter. It's just like showing up authentically. So you don't have to use I do obviously teach on marketing and there's like a formula that I give out and blah, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, pushing all the formulas aside, the root of where that comes from needs to be organic and genuine and exciting for for you to share about or it's, it is going to always feel like pulling teeth. It's gross. And the more you do it, the easier it is to do. And really, it comes down to just timelines like, OK, I'm going to share about this on this platform on this date and I'm going to 
you know, build up a schedule and that's literally it. So if you give yourself a schedule, the rest of it kind of falls into place. And I think that's like, anytime I've been effective at marketing, it's when I can have dates and then I can share. I'm so impulsive and in the moment that it helps me know that I'm connecting to everybody else too. If I can just have the content and then I'm going to put it out there. But in the beginning, I'm going to talk as me in that moment. And that helps me a lot with marketing so that I feel like it is like a genuine right now connection. You mentioned, you tease us with the marketing formula and I have to get that from you in a second, but I want to go back to where you're talking about your content. I take it that you're not a, a batch creation person. You don't just do a bunch of work up and then schedule it over time in anything you do, or do you batch? I didn't before. And I have taken to batch working. I am obsessed with it now. And it's, it does kind of conflict, but it depends on what it is. So we all know that I do a million things. So if I'm talking about like my membership and the flock, I will take two months, sometimes one, it just depends on how much it is, but I do it and apply it to the next six months of content. So I have, you know, that kind of chart in there where it's like, this is what I need to write. This is what I need to film. This is what I need to create tangibles for. This is what I need to edit. And then it just goes down the line and then gets scheduled out and queued. And then all I have to do is say, here's what drops Tuesday or whatever. But then the other part of batch working, you know, aside from coaching or teaching or anything like that is in creative work. Scotty Russell just said something. We were talking about seasons of art where rather than like working in collections, like let's say I'm gonna do eight things that are along the same style or same color palette or whatever, it's like seasons of trying something and sticking to it and committing to it. Maybe that's a week, maybe that's three months, whatever it is. So I like the batch working aspect of that because it's forcing you to like commit to something yeah, I get it. I get it. You you mentioned Scotty Russell, which for those of you who are not familiar with him, he was on episode 154, episode titled Forging Your Own Creative Path, Overcoming Depression and Escaping the American Scheme. He has his own podcast, awesome podcast called uh, The Side Hustler's Perspective, which I think it used to just be called The Perspective Podcast. Highly recommended for sure for those of you who, if you, if you haven't heard Scotty, go check out that podcast or at least that episode. So going back to the marketing formula. I want to know what this formula is that you talk about because I like formulas and I, because formulas give me structure. And it's funny because like, I can't put a pin on, on you as a person because you are all over the place. Similar to me, I have like, I have hardcore ADHD, but similar to me, you have structures in certain places of your life. And so for me, like formulas or frameworks or things like that are my structure. And I love learning these sorts of things because anytime I'm struggling to focus on something, I say, where's a framework or structure for that? And can I use it in my own business? So give me what, what is your marketing formula? Well, there's a few, but I think that the most helpful is to have a very specific content plan and like, is this going to live on social media? Is it going to, and how is it going to live in video form? Is it going to live on a post? Is it going to live on a story? Is it going to live on a reel or a TikTok or whatever? And, or is it going to be something that is shared on email? Is it something that is going to be, but I think just having these visuals of these bullet points is also what helps you come up with content. So, you know, networking, being a guest on someone else's blog, being a guest in someone else's newsletter, that's the best way to network. I think it's like um, being able to offer value to somebody else's audience while, you know, you're getting exposure for your thing. It's like a win-win and then they can do, you know, vice versa. But being able to come together and doing like 
they call them J, like JB's joint ventures. It, it could be like a micro version of that. Which is basically just someone, it's just someone else promoting your, your stuff to their audience. And uh, this was something that was in the client acquisition toolkit that I recently put out this past week, where this is common in the online course and co- world that, that, that Peggy and I are a part of, but this is so utterly uncommon in the freelance world of finding people who control your ideal clients, like the command of their, your ideal clients, whether it's like an email list or uh, social media following and have them promote your work to their audience. And a lot of times there's a commission in, involved with, of some sort, but go get that guide if you haven't already. It'll be in our show notes at sixfigurecreative.com slash two zero one. Also, I, I would think about who's not in your exact industry so that you can cross network into a different industry. As an example, I wrote a book called Botanical Line Drawing. And when I say I wrote it, I mean, I drew a book called Botanical Line Drawing. I think the words in it, like it just says step one, step two, step three, a million times with no instructions. That book did so like it just blew all of the other ones out of the water. It still does. It's crazy. But I think it's because it's so vague, but it's so specific at the same time that it can apply to all these different industries. So all of a sudden, my everything is blowing up with bullet journal, people who do bullet journaling and thinking about like who's just outside that reach. Mindful Sketching is my book that just came out. And that one, we have a bunch of like mindfulness yoga instructors, all of, you know, people who are not necessarily in the art or creative world at all. And they're more into the wellness space who are, you know, that's an awesome market because it's important to me too. But getting back to this structure, so thinking about where things are going to live. So it's not just your own platform. It can be other people's platform. And the simple way to do that is to ask. And the worst thing that's going to happen is that you don't hear back or you get a no and nothing changes if nothing changes. So you have literally nothing to lose. But then the other part of this is what type of topic will this be? So this could be like expanding on what something's about. It could be uh, education around that. So maybe hot tips, things like this. It could be like a mention to like a warm lead kind of thing, or it could be here are some results. Here's the demand. Here's what happened, like case studies. When you hear a sale, like, okay, $39 for this hose. I don't know where, where this is coming from. I just bought a new garden hose, so it's fine. <laughs> Maybe we're just connected right now. Okay. So you say $39 for a hose. Well, that requires your active thinking. You're just like, okay, $39, this hose, what's around here? What can I compare? Do I look up reviews on my phone real quick? This one's 39. This one's 59. Is it a brand thing? Does this have better specs? Whatever. But when you talk to somebody about what that hose is going to do, so maybe it is like an ergonomic, eco-conscious, blah, blah, blah. And that's those are the words that come at you. That requires more of a passive thinking. So that is something that you're going to connect with emotionally. It's one of the reasons why I like to come in organically is because it's like, oh, this is why as I'm like, you know, growing this business and learning more about marketing, I'm like, this is why I'm successful is because I only come from this approach. Like, I don't really, I mean, sometimes and I'll be like, guess what? Boom, it's $99 and you won it, I promise. But that's still coming across like as me. And I'm just kind of laughing about how salesy I'm being. But like, at the end of the day, what I recommend doing is having, you know, that thing in place, whatever it is that you created, and then going from there and thinking, okay, where do I want these pieces of content to live? Okay, great. 
what kind of content is this going to be? I don't know if anybody pins, <laughs> uses Pinterest. Very small percentage of our audience. I, I would assume a very small percentage, but what I do like about it is that they have like, say, like even if you just got a free account and just looked real fast, it's great because it has prompts to connect with your audience in some way. So it's like, this is going to be, this day is going to be for connection. This day is going to be, you know, a piece of education that you share. This day is something that's going to be interactive and they give like little prompts and ideas. I actually have a spreadsheet that can be imported into like any spreadsheet platform that's like 180 social media prompts for this specific thing. That could be helpful. Yeah, it's a micro version. I'll, I'll get the link over, but it's a micro version of what we're talking about right now because on a marketing plan ideally like depending on how long you want something to live like if it's a huge launch then i would say like you have a 60-day ramp up plan that you need to get into a 60 days like that sweet spot and there are methods around how each one of those is going to look like but then if it's something that is not so you know it's like a one-off it's not some huge huge deal like that like go two weeks out start to tease it get excited about it maybe share some valuable whatever you decide it's going to be in a lead magnet or in somebody else's space. And in that somebody else's space, have something live there that brings people back to you. Like give them something of value, then give them something tangible of value. And then in that tangible thing of value, put something in there that's like, oh, you want more of this? Okay, come over here and that's where you're gonna get it. Then you have them on, living on your turf and you can provide even more value. And something that I truly believe in, and it's hard to swallow, is like you build so much in whatever it is you're creating and then realize that A, you need to do so much merchandising around that that's gonna take the same amount of time, if not more, and then you have so much marketing to do around that, which might require taking that initial outline we were talking about earlier, taking little pieces either dissecting a section or building some supporting content around that and then offering that as free value. Because if someone can buy in and have instant results from whatever it is that you're putting out there, maybe not results, but satisfaction, you know, gratification instantly or whatever it's going to be, then they already know the value and they want more of that versus just a tease of what that could be. They don't, they haven't experienced it yet. You know, you want to give them the opportunity to actually experience it and then get more from you. So it is, it's like offering more value for free than you do in your paid space, but it will make you more, it's much more lucrative that way. Let's talk about something that I think is an area of improvement for our audience. They need to really improve on. I think that you excel at Peggy, Peggy Dane. And that is, <laughs> and that is the, the area of content creation, which we've talked about. But I think specifically, like when we talk about marketing, to me, marketing can be boiled down to this sentence. It's the right message to the right audience at the right time. That's really it. And to me, content fits into that so well. And that's the area that I think you've been, you've devoted most of your time is creating content. Do you do any paid advertising or are you primarily just content marketing type person? I've never done paid advertising. Um, one of these days I will look into it, but I've never done it. You have over a hundred thousand Instagram followers. So that's all organic, not through paid ads. And probably coming in close to 100,000 email subscribers. I'm not sure what the number is there. Yeah. So what I'll say though about an Instagram following, like I'll just be totally honest. I wish that there was a way to prune it because I did way too, like 
I know that the big like let's grow is like let's do a million giveaways. You guys don't do a million giveaways. You're gonna get so <laughs> you're gonna get so many empty accounts following you like that just don't care or they're like legitimately accounts that people sign up for just to enter giveaways. Like it's terrible and I had no idea and I'm just like oh I'm so hungry to grow these numbers well I stopped doing that and now the algorithm sucks and guess what don't care kind of wish the number was lower because I mean I'm, I, I I recently did I don't know how accurate these websites are but I was like I want to know how many of my followers are like totally stagnant like don't do anything and they're it, like the percentage made me want to barf it was 19 percent 19%. So is your is your email list your main kind of like your main focus then? It is. Okay, that's great. Because I want to talk to you about that because our audience, I've been trying to get them to to build an email list of some sort. And I think you're a good person to talk about, about doing that because like you're hanging out from someone right now who has a following over 100,000 people on Instagram and is saying right now, my email list is more, more valuable to me. So let's talk about building that list because this is an area that that I want everyone paying attention to. Yeah. Okay. So this is so important and it, I wasn't, okay. So I watched, I watched a six minute talk one time. It was, it took six minutes. That was it to talk about the value of email marketing to where it was just like, okay, that clicks on so many levels. And you guys, if you, if, if Brian's been trying to talk to you about this, then you probably are going to hear the same thing coming from me, but like you live on rented land. If something happens to any accounts, all of those people that you're relying on are gone. They are gone. And so your email list, like these are people who are actively wanting to be involved in what you're doing. So it is your target audience, no matter what. It's not some, you know, like quick eye candy, like let's let's count on that, you know, whatever. Um, there's somebody, who, a friend of mine who said this morning and it's it, she just did a post about it, but she said in the first 10 posts, or maybe it was 20, I don't remember, but the ratio of who she followed that came up that weren't suggested accounts or weren't like shop accounts was 45%. So you're not seeing the people that you follow and vice versa, they're not seeing you. Like it's not effective anymore. And email is, most times deliverability is gonna be pretty high in an email situation. So there are plenty of free um, get starter, you know, places you can easily export your contacts and import them into a different email service provider when it comes time to grow, because, you know, you're inevitably going to grow if you do it the right way. But, you know, it, it was hard to get started until I heard like the, the actual value, like this is so important. And when I started actually actively, actually actively building my emails, it was like, I saw such a surge in engagement and people who are really paying attention to what I'm doing and then also in pro you know in in income I appreciate that I did just update that number on my website he was saying earlier before we started 75,000 is that my email list on my website it says like join 75,000 of us uh but yeah it is it's about 78 now I wish it was close to a hundred. I mean, I do and I don't like, man, it gets expensive, but I'll tell you what. I know how much you're probably paying something like active campaign or whatever you use. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And we just switched to active campaign this year and I'm, I'm really liking it so far, but I don't think that anybody needs to think about all those crazy funnels and whatnot. When you get started, I think that what you need to focus on is your lead magnet into your email list, 
period. Like really focus on getting a good solid lead magnet. And you've probably heard a lot about this, but something that you can offer as value. I don't like the words sign up for my newsletter to do this. I like join me, blah, blah, blah. And then a cute little, I'm never going to spam you. That'd be gross. Don't use those words. It's mine. Um, no, it's not. I didn't like trade market or anything, but like, you know, something that, that feels you. I just don't like subscribe to the newsletter. Like that doesn't tell anybody what they're going to get. They're going to bypass it. And then everybody hates pop-ups. So maybe don't do that. Maybe do an inline form. I'll tell you something else. People like graphics. They like visuals. So if you can plant those in there with your form, like just give people as much as you possibly can, as if they're holding the thing in their hand that you want to give them so that they know that that's the value you're giving them immediately. And then let them know what to expect in your first email and be personable. What have you found to be an effective lead magnet for you specifically? Cause I know I have a, I have a bunch of them right now and I have what I call like, I call them like secondary lead magnets. Like I created a piece of content and the natural next step was like, Oh, I should offer this as like a lead magnet or whatever after an episode or after a video. But then I also have like my core lead magnets. Those are the things that I think can stand alone. And I found that those are just way better long-term than like the, the, the secondary ones. What have you found as far as identifying what works, what doesn't work? Give us your secrets. Yeah, I agree. Um, you might have your core at the top of your head. If you're not sure yet, you could play around with two or three and interchange them over time or interchange them with seasons or whatever. I like that you're asking me what works the most, but I want to preface what I'm going to say by saying this really has to do with your industry and what your end like goal is. I have people all the time who ask me, you know, I was thinking about putting this up as a lead magnet. What do you think of this? And it's like, aren't you quitting that part of your business? <laughs> so you want to offer this as a freebie, as a main freebie, but you're never ever going to follow up on that content ever. So basically you're pulling in an audience that isn't your target market anymore. And that means that you have the wrong people on your list that you're paying for who aren't probably going to convert the way that you want them to. So <laughs> it would depend. Me, as somebody who, as we know, likes to give resources, I have created a guide. It's 52 pages of all of my favorite everything having to do with creativity. So this is art supplies, it's filming um, gear, it's lighting, it's office supply. Like it's literally everything, packaging, whatever you wanna do in this space. Like I've got direct links. It's not like here are all the options. It's like, here are my favorites. I've luckily been fortunate to build trust with people because they know that I do all this digging and like figuring stuff out and what works the best. And like I say, you know, this isn't necessarily the best in the world, but this is my favorite. And I've been through some hoops or two. So hopefully this is helpful. It's a 52 page guide. So that's a huge one for me for what I offer. But then I also have like for, you know, coursework, um, like I have a free masterclass that's an hour long that gives like value. It's not just a pitch or something. I have a four day challenge that's interactive. I hear a lot of people who are artists who say things like, oh, well, do you think that like phone wallpaper is a good one? I have also been able to see the clicks on what I have offered in the years. <laughs> and I'll tell you right now, I have never even with over 100,000 people on my Instagram, and I think at the time like 20,000 on my email, there were six clicks, not downloads, clicks on an iPhone wallpaper. So if that tells you 
anything at all. I mean, it, it's not like overtime. It was like in that week, but like that's when you're going to get the most. And so I, I put that in the ground right away because that was just extra work I didn't need to do. So that's another part about like this journey when you're going along the organic process that's really helpful is that you're able to test your market immediately and see what works and what doesn't and then study that and go with the flow because then you're inevitably going to do what works the most and then be able to build off of that demand. That's the kind of the pro and the con of, of social media being mostly algorithmically driven now. It's not like a timeline where the most recent stuff is always showing up in your timeline. Now it's about an algorithm now. So like if your content is just not appealing to people that follow you, assuming you're followed by your ideal clients, which is not always the case, but assuming that you are, that when you post stuff, if it's not getting engagement, then it's likely not that interesting to the type of person that you're trying to attract. So you're not going to get many clicks. And so it's kind of like one of those things where a lot of times social media is a great place to test. Like we have a TikTok that we've been growing over the last six months or so that allows us to quickly learn what topics people care about and what they don't care about, which can then lead to now that I understand that I can actually create content or lead magnets or whatever around that specific stuff. And I do do paid advertising. So now I can know what content I can turn into paid ads to promote the podcast or promote a lead magnet. And not everyone in our audience is going to go down that same path, but just understand that like it starts with understanding who you're trying to target, why they would want this and answering the most important question, which is what is in it for them? If you can't answer the question, what is in it for them? What are they going to get out of it? Then don't make it because otherwise the wallpaper, I look at my phone, my wallpaper has on my phone has not been changed in over, over 10 years. I think I've gone through, I've gone through like multiple phones at this point and had the same wallpaper on it. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, mine's always pictures of my cat or my dog. Like that's, you know, what we're into. Um, like my iPad, I use it for Procreate. It might as well just be called Procreate. Like I don't open it for any other reason. So nothing's been changed on that. It's all default. Like let's think about where we're spending our time. Which is just funny because I just learned about Procreate because my wife's gotten into it now. And I'm like, that's the funniest app name. I love it. Yeah, it's something. It's It was confusing when you would search for anything Procreate when it first came out because it was like, what search results are we wanting to show you here? The birds and the bees. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Thank you. All right. So just kind of wrapping this conversation up for people who are maybe struggling, trying to get their, their hobby transitioned into more than a hobby. They're trying to take their passions to more than just passion led stuff, something where they, they can actually pay their bills. Looking back to yourself, you know, I don't know how many years ago you got into this, but like where you were kind of on the cusp of trying to make it, what would you tell yourself back to that period of like, this is what you need to know to get out of this? Like what here's, whether it's inspirational, motivational or tactical, I'll leave it to you. But like, what would you tell that person? I think more than anything, it's just like resilience to your own mindset. So I think now this isn't necessarily true, but I have a 90-10 that I talk about and it's like, it's 90% mindset. Like we are the only people that are standing in our way for anything. I love failing. I love hitting dead ends because it allows me to know, okay, this isn't going to work next time. Like this doesn't work now, it's not going to work next time, or it's only going to work if X, Y, Z. And that to me is like gaining knowledge and confidence in my decision moving forward as I find out what works. And then I can show up and have conviction behind what I'm saying, because I do feel confident in that. And that's experience. And I know like, this is kind of like the rule breaker in me, you know, like not to listen to what everybody's telling me. And like, even though I have advice, like, I tell people challenge me, like really challenge me, like, because I might not like what I'm saying might not work for you. 
it might not be the right thing for you. Like I'm only speaking from my own experiences. Your experiences are gonna be different than mine. I will say that it does help to talk this stuff out. So, you know, if there are people that are working parallel in some degree with you, like talk it out, having that person like to just kind of spill on, sometimes they don't even need to say a word. And it's just like, you need to like get all this word vomit out. And then you kind of figure out your own answer right then. It's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know why I was stuck here when this is all I needed to do. Like, or somebody says something just in the right way where it triggers your own thought that answers your own question. Like, just trust yourself. Like our intuitions are here for a reason. Like you're listening to this episode for a reason. So trust yourself. Yeah. And I'll add to that just saying like, if you're an external processor, like my wife is, and and I find it helpful as well when I'm like, something's in my mind and I needed to just process it externally with someone sitting there. I don't need their advice. I just need to talk it out. In those cases, make sure that when you were talking to someone like this and externally processing, it's the right person, someone that's encouraging, someone that's got your best interest at heart and not someone who's going to try to pull you back down to their level. Because when you're early in your career and you're still not certain about something and you don't have that confidence to push through someone's bad advice, it can be detrimental to your future. So make sure it's the person who has your best interest at heart. Well, Peggy, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, is there is there any place you want to send our audience about where they can maybe connect with you or learn more about you? Or um, if you're going to uh, do what I would recommend doing, share a lead magnet, right? To get them on the email list. Is there some? Is there something you want to send them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, this is actually where I'm not very good because I'm like, oh, I should have come prepared with something to share about this. But really, I just like talking. So if you're like, want to do a podcast? Yeah, that's as far as it gets. Um, no, I, I've got plenty of lead magnets. I've got a ton of freebies, all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons um, at thepigeonletters.com. You literally land there and it's a resource haven. So my lead magnet is my website. But I do have a ton of content on there for creating, for creators and resources. Otherwise, I want to just say thank you so much. Um, This is the kind of stuff I nerd out about so much. And I think it's so fun to be able to share and then know that somebody on the other end is like, yes, because, you know, I think we all need that. So, oh, and then I I will share that in show notes. I'm just going to make Brian do it. Um, I'm going to give you guys that social media master prompts list because I think it'll be helpful too. I think it'll be helpful for me as well because I, my top nine goes back like nine years. Like I don't post on socials very often. It will be helpful, but I think if nothing else, it'll uh, be motivating and holding yourself accountable is I think a pretty huge, just, just a huge little thing, right? (laughs) 